0: This is your Friday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. The weekend is almost here. I think we could use it. It is the first day of October. A great sports month. Plenty to talk about today. You know, what's kind of funny is I was doing a lot of show prep yesterday and this morning already, and I was kind of having a hard time tying together my main thought for the opening segment. And then, it's funny, I looked on Twitter and uh, got a got a tweet from Steve Katz who kind of helped me kind of sort everything out and everything kind of fell into place. So thank you, Steve. Um, I'll get to that tweet in just a minute. Also got uh, John Marthaler coming up talking Minnesota United Soccer. Some interesting stuff there. Not trying to start a Landon Donovan rumor, but we did talk about Landon Donovan's MLS coaching prospects in the in the process of that as well. Plus Mark Craig. NFL picks, and he's in Cleveland right now reporting a Kevin Stefanski story in advance of Sunday's Vikings-Browns game. But yeah, first, what did I miss? Talking Twins. The tweet from Steve Katz would love to know what happened in the Twins' evaluation of Jay Happ and Matt Shoemaker. Insufficient data, faulty data, poor analysis, good analysis that was ignored. A comprehensive review of their evaluation methodology sure seems in order. Now, the reason that's interesting to me is I don't think we could ever get a peek behind the curtain with the Twins, and part of that is probably proprietary data, or what they like to think of as proprietary data. They have their methods, they have their way of doing things, and they think it's, you know, this, every team probably thinks there's a certain secret sauce to what they're doing, and they don't want to tell everybody what they're doing. Part of it, though, is that uh, it, it kind of has been the Twins' way to want to kind of take guys who are maybe on the margins. And you know, Jay Happ had a good year last year. He's he's had good seasons, so it's not like that was, you know, un unex- you know, not like there was out of left field that he could have had a good year, but to to miss so badly on those two guys does show that something went wrong. And I don't know exactly what it was um that to to Steve's point, we don't really know like did did they think something was going to happen? Did they think they could, you know, teach to show these guys a certain way to pitch. I think that's probably the case with shoemaker more than Hap, And maybe Hap just kind of ran out of gas or the fit wasn't right, but uh, whatever it was didn't work. Now that brings me to the point, Derek Falvey talked to the media on Thursday, basically said, yeah, we messed up the, those, those guys didn't pitch as well as we thought they would. He didn't say kind of what the problem was, but it does give you some idea. Like these guys didn't sign Hap and shoemaker thinking they were going to be lousy. So something was missing in that equation. Um and and Falvey at least owned up to the fact that it, you know whatever it was didn't work. Now that ties together a couple of things that I've been thinking about. One, how do they get better in twenty twenty two? And it starts with pitching. I think everybody knows that the whatever the pitching pr- plan was this season didn't work, and it basically got completely ripped up. You know, Happ and Shoemaker get traded after having lousy starts. Barrios gets gets traded after pitching well, but the team isn't really going anywhere. Kentomayda winds up on the on the on the injured list and is now out for most of next season, probably at least. So you've got that. You've got a lot of other things that you're dealing with. But if you really want to be better in 2022, in addition to internal improvement, and you know, in addition to Joe Ryan and Bailey Ober continuing on a promising trajectory although Ryan got hit around pretty good on Thursday. Um you're going to need to, to you're going to need to add some better pitching and you're probably going to need to spend more on pitching than you have in the past. Like you can you can deal in these kind of mid to low markets, but this is going to be a tricky offseason because of the CBA expires, the trade market might not be that robust. Like you might have to make you know the 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 pickings might be a little slimmer than you want them to be. You might have to make a bolder move whenever that move is able to be made, you know whether that's someone like a Marcus Stroman, whether that's you know someone of that profile that's going to command 20 to $25 million. Going out and spending money on a pitcher is a, a much easier way to do it than trying to hit on some of these lower to mid-level targets. So with that in mind, and if you want to extend Byron Buxton, which I think you do and I think you need to do, Jim Suhan wrote about that in Friday's paper, Where's the money going to come from? I know there's no salary cap in baseball, but a team that doesn't have maybe the most realistic chance to contend in 2022, are they really going to spend all that much money? So part of where the money has to come from is a Josh Donaldson trade, which was part of what I wrote about on Thursday in terms of it's not something Donaldson has done wrong. It's just the fit here right now, what he signed up for, what the twins wanted him for isn't lining up. So... Trade one of your best players to get better in 2022 sounds counterintuitive, but I think it might have to happen this offseason if they can make it happen, again, with the complications of the the CBA and everything like that, and teams maybe reluctant to make some moves right away. That's going to help them get better in the short term and the long term because it's going to allow them to sign Buxton and maybe add some pitching that they need, so... Until they figure it out, until they figure out whatever went wrong in their evaluation, probably the easiest way is to throw some money at the problem, and the best way to do that is to free up some money on the other side. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to
1: Strip Sports Daily Delivery.
0: This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, Go to StarTribune.com slash subscribe. It is Friday on Daily Delivery. That must mean it is time to welcome in Mark Craig for our Picks segment. Mark is in Cleveland gathering uh, some uh, some interviews and other uh, background stuff, doing a piece on Kevin Stefanski, uh, former Vikings offensive coordinator, of course, now the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Browns played the Vikings on Sunday. Um Mark, we'll get to that story in maybe in a little bit. You can give us a, a little sneak preview of that, but uh, maybe we can start picks wise with that game, a, an interesting game from a lot of different levels. What do you uh what do you how do you see this game kind of transpiring on the field?
2: You know, I, I really I feel like it's it's two very well well-matched teams, you know. Uh part of me wants to think that the home field advantage makes the difference, but I you know, I, I really like. I mean, the Vikings' offensive line has played well the last two weeks. But I really like the Browns' offensive line. I really like their two running backs. Odell Beckham came back last week. Uh, I like Baker. Uh, you know, with that offensive line, um, I think the Browns are a little bit better team, probably a little bit more confident. Uh, you know, I I I picked the, the Browns to win thirty to twenty-three, but I would not be surprised if the Vikings. You know, ride that home crowd again, and uh, like they did last week, and 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 it, it would be another upset. I mean, it's kind of strange. When's the last time the Vikings have been underdogs at home back-to-back games?
0: It probably has been a while. I don't think it'll happen next week uh, when they play the Lions. That would that would signal that would signal something is horribly uh, horribly gone wrong. But you never know. Um, yeah, it's an interesting game. I feel like. You're right. Cleveland on both sides of the ball on the line of scrimmage is, is got some some talent. Their defensive line could give the Vikings some problems. I think you're right. The offensive line for the Vikings has played much better in in the last two weeks. Cleaned up some of those you know pre snap and post snap penalties from from week one. I, I imagine that might kind of tell the story of the game is how those how those lines play. And if you go into it thinking the Browns have maybe the edge there is that maybe that kind of informs your overall opinion
2: yeah and i you know obviously it's a it's also another case where you know you don't want to they did they did great without dalvin cook last week but you know you don't want to you know uh, uh go too many weeks without dalvin cuz he's he's a difference maker if he plays you know, it, it, you know i know they won without him last week but i think as the uh the browns are a better team i think than seattle proved to be um you know so you, seattle you know, the Vikings played a tremendous and kirk cousins played tremendous but uh man, were there a lot of open receivers that uh it just looked like you know, what's going on with with the, with Seattle's defense? So uh, I think the Browns are gonna be a better, a better test. Uh, and it would be really a good week to have Dalvin uh, play.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're right. That was, I mean, obviously a key game for the Vikings last week to to get on the board win-wise, not just moral victory wise. Um what else do you like this week? I'm kind of looking through your picks right now. I obviously look to them. Looked at them before. It doesn't feel like this is maybe the the premier week of matchups that maybe we had in in previous weeks. I think you know Cardinals Rams is pretty interesting. What what do you, you got Rams? But in a close game, what do, what do you how do you kind of dissect the way this one could go?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, there's two. Yeah, you know, obviously there's there's two games that are you know fantastic. I mean, you got Cardinals Rams, and then obviously you got the uh, Brady going into Foxborough uh, with Belichick and Uh, it's a lot more than just those two uh, facing off. I think uh, uh, Tom's coming in with the better team uh, and that's kind of what I went with. Uh, But yeah, I mean, the Rams, you know, until the Rams lay an egg, uh, you know, right now they're, everything they said that they were going to do with Matthew Stafford, they've done it and more. Uh, He's, he's, uh, he looks like he's been playing with Cooper cup for 10 years. Uh, He's, he, you know, he's got the deep ball. Uh, They got a fantastic defense that, uh, did pretty much what I thought they would do against Brady. I mean, I, you know, uh, you know, Brady was going to lose a game before his career ended, and he, he did. That doesn't mean that, that that they're a bad team or that he's done. It's just that the Rams are that good. And I think the, the Cardinals are more likely to make mistakes, especially on the road, uh, and not play up to the level of the Rams. So I, I like the Rams at, at, in that case. I think it was a six-point spread or something. I, I didn't have them covering. And I get confused on all the covering and not covering it. The people in Vegas are geniuses how they figure this out because uh, it's so hard to, to, (laughs) it's hard enough in this league to pick just the straight up winners. And then uh, when it comes to the points, it's, I I get completely lost. As you can see with my five and 12 record against the spread last week. (laughs)
0: Five five and 11, it says, we'll give you a, we'll give you, we'll give you a little bit of a break there. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, you, you, you've, You know, along those lines, you've nailed three straight upset specials. Though Vikings were your upset last week, this week you like the Lions at the Bears, and I got to say that's not a bad guess. Justin Fields did not look good last week against these Browns that the Vikings are going to play, and that's an understatement. Um, What what do you? I mean, these are uh, these are pretty clearly at this point the two worst teams in the division, I would think, and neither one of them has a, a whole lot going for them right now, but how you know? As long as we're keeping in the in the division, why do you like the Lions in this game?
2: Well, you know, I've I liked the Lions. It seems like they've played a half of good football in each week. You know, they look they look pretty good in the first half against the Packers. I think the they second did. half didn't really watch the the, the first game, uh, but they you know they played they didn't you know tank it in the first game and they played pretty well in the second half. I guess I thought they played the you know the the Ravens pretty well. It's, you know, the poor Lions. You talk about the Vikings and the fans having problems with kickers. In 1970, Tom Dempsey kicks a 63-yard field goal to set a record to beat the Lions 19-17 to <laughs> last Sunday. Last Sunday, Justin Tucker kicked a 66-yarder to beat the Lions 19-17 for the record. So uh, the, the Lions have their own uh, scar tissues now with, these, with the kickers. And I just thought that, you know, it's going to come together for the Lions. I think the Lions are better than – I mean, I shouldn't say this because you are what your record is. I, I know I've written that, but uh, I feel like they're playing better, and I just feel like, uh, you know, unless Matt Nagy – I don't know what what his game plan was last week. He, he wanted uh, Justin Fields to be Andy Dalton, and it didn't work. Um, but I, I just I like the Lions to pull an upset. Did you see Jared
0: Goff's post-game quote where he said, the gut punches will stop? I don't know if he's very well versed in Lions history to say that.
2: Yeah, they've been they've been getting hit in the gut since like nineteen fifties.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think Barry Sanders is uh, walking through that door. I could be mistaken. Um, let's talk lastly last last pick game. The the like we talked about just a second ago. The uh, the obviously you know Tom Brady with Tampa Bay going into New England. Tampa Bay a much better team than New England, I think at this point, but. There's a lot of variables when you've got those sorts of, you know, that sort of history and those sorts of emotions in a game. How do you see this one playing out?
2: Yeah, I think my biggest variable was go with the quarterback who has 301 more starts than the other one. Uh, that's a good. That's so. a good pick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's. Uh, I think Tampa Bay is a better team. Um, you know, I know Belichick is. You know, he didn't become stupid overnight when Brady left, but um, you know, you need the players, and I think. Uh, Tampa Bay has, a, has an awful good defense too. I just don't think that Belichick, you know, when it's a better team and you got Tom Brady uh, and a defense and you have a, a quarterback, you know, as polished as he was in the preseason, you know, he, he played a little bit like a like a rookie last week, um, and that's not going to go away overnight. And I just that's why I like you know like the Buccaneers, even though it's prime time on the road.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Although I've I've got a few kind of lingering questions about Tampa Bay. It wouldn't surprise me if New England wins that game, but I think you're right. Bet against Tom Brady at your own risk. Um, Lastly, Mark, like I said, you're in Cleveland Kind of gathering, gathering string, as we say in the just in the industry for this Kevin Stefanski story that will be in the Star Tribune, StarTribune.com this weekend, Sunday's paper. Um, obviously, you knew Stefanski already from his time here. What what else have you been able to, to glean from from your time in Cleveland with you know Stefanski and some of the other former Vikings that are out there now?
2: Yeah, it seems like it's uh, you know it's Vikings East. Uh, you know, sitting down with Ariel Prefer and Joe Woods and. Shadow O'Shea and, and and everybody, a case talking to case and a, and Afadi, and uh, it's good. And then Kevin, you know, we sat down and talked today. Um, yeah, I, I, he's such a survivor. I mean, he's, he's so old school, but he's young. You know, what I mean, he's a, he's. Uh, the, the, it's a, it's a story about a guy just persevered. It's a like a flatline guy that's just got this personality that just um, oozes this confidence, but this quiet. Uh, resolve that uh, that just universally is respected and um, yeah, like I said, I don't want to give away what we're going to be writing about, but uh, uh, it was interesting to talk a little bit about uh, his feelings when uh, Zimmer blocked him from going to New York and the initial feeling and how much uh, you know he wasn't he admitted he was not happy and uh, and the fact that uh, he uh, ended up he feels that it ended up being for the better because he got another year and it happened to be a year under Gary Kubiak. And so you look at all the, you know, that this guy has had in his career to work with. the Completely different offenses from North Turner to Pat Shermer. Uh, did a summer internship with the Eagles under Andy Reid, uh, which got him the job with Childress. Uh, so he has West Coast. He has the Zampezi, North Turner offense, Gary Kubiak offense. Uh, he, he's been a sponge. And it's, it's a fascinating story. We all know it. You know, he had the, the desk outside Chili's office as Chili's gopher for, for two years in 06, 07. And it's funny. He's like, you know, when you have a, when you have a, a desk outside the head coach's office, so you don't have any walls. He goes, you, you, you learn a lot of uh, what a head coach has the fires they have to put out by the who comes in and out of his office. And, um, you know, he came here one of the, his first week. I think he had, he had to meet with Kareem Hunt because he was arrested for something. Sure. And, Uh, Odell, uh, passing out money and being Odell and, uh, from the people I've talked to, it's like he, you know, he, he lays down the law, but he does it in a way that's, that even today's players can respect and and they honor. And there's been no issues here. And, you know, to win coach of the year in Cleveland, I mean, I have one of the 50 votes and I told Kevin today, I said, uh, as a Hall of Fame selector, it took us four seconds to, to pick Brett Favre to go in the Hall of Fame and I said it probably took four and a half seconds for me to cast my coach of the year ballot because to do what he did in Cleveland and do it during a pandemic year where, you know, talking to some of the players here, they're like, I didn't even see his face for the first year, you know, because he's behind of a mask. And, sure. uh, he's in, he's in Edina in, in May and June, uh, coaching the Browns uh, virtually before he moves to Cleveland. And, uh, to do that. And then to, uh, you know, to win 11 games in Cleveland in that division is, uh, was amazing.
0: It was. I look forward to the story. I look forward to the game on Sunday and all the games. Mark Craig, good stuff. Uh, go go finish your work and uh, we'll read that story on Sunday, okay? Sounds
2: good. Thanks, Michael.
0: Good stuff from Mark Craig. I think that Vikings game is very interesting on Sunday and I will also be forever interested in the what-if scenario of what would have happened or what might have happened had the Vikings not won that playoff game in 2019. Would Kevin Stefanski Be the head coach of the Vikings right now, question mark. John Marthaler back with me here on Daily Delivery. Talk a little Minnesota United soccer. John, disappointing result for the Loons on Wednesday. 3-1 away loss to D.C. United. They're one of their United brethren. Um, Been a little problem for them winning on the road, especially lately. And they'll have to do that this weekend when they play Dallas. Um, well, let me start with that match, and you can even go back a couple matches before that when things seem to be picking up. What uh, what did we see in that three one loss, and should we be should we be particularly concerned about anything that we saw there?
1: Well, I I think there was something interesting that came out of that game, and it was something that Brent Coleman said in the post game interviews. Uh, there there's a lot of talk about the formation that Minnesota United came out. They, they played five defenders, which they don't usually do. They they've done it at the end of games a fair number of times, but they don't usually start the match with it. And the point of it was as, as Coleman said, the point was to try to play a little more directly to try to hold it down. DC is a, a high pressing high pressure kind of club. And so the idea was to invite some of that pressure in and then, counter a little bit because DC tends to only play three guys at the back and push everybody else up at, at times DC looks like they're playing five different forwards. So that was the plan. It didn't really work out. Obviously they lost three to one. Uh, but I thought the interesting thing that Coleman said was he, he was talking about how it seemed like DC was winning every 50, 50 ball and winning all the second balls. And what he said was in, in the second half, it started to feel like luck, like they were just getting lucky and the ball was bouncing to them every time. But what he said, and this I thought was was wise, he said, you know, if you flip a coin over and over and over again and it keeps coming up heads, maybe it's not luck. Maybe maybe they are hungry or maybe they want it more. And I think that is the thing that Minnesota needs to fix more than anything. The last couple of road games they played, they lost 4 nothing in Kansas City. They lost 3-1 to D.C. And at some point you look and say, are, are they really – bringing that competitiveness that they need to in those road games now they won they lost in seattle before that and they played pretty well and before that they won in houston so it's not necessarily an ongoing long-term problem but you certainly have to look at that and say what is causing that and how can they get out of it their next two road games are against dallas and austin who are two of the bottom teams in the western conference they need to especially if they want to get into a home playoff game get into the top four in the western conference they need to win those games.
0: Yeah, and you know, if you look at the the standings in the Western Conference, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's almost like the NBA West. It's like the, you got the elite teams, then you got all this kind of swirl of teams between like four and ten, and you know, four of them are going to make the playoffs, and three of them are going to miss the playoffs, and and the Loons could certainly be anywhere in between. You know, jumping up all the way to number four and getting that home you know home playoff game to start, or falling completely out and i you know and these next two matches probably will have a lot to say about that because even though they are away matches like you say they are against two of the worst teams in in the west and, and an opportunity to get it right now that said do you feel like they will make any adjustments uh, adjustments kind of a, a a catch-all word in in sports but how, how do you think they will come out in, in these games uh, you know uh, Against a lesser opponent, the DC United is a good team. So, you know, how, how will they come against a lesser opponent? Do you think?
1: Well, I think it's interesting. They they really have been a different team based on whether they have their first choice team in place or whether they are, depending on depth, a little bit. They unfortunately have had this ongoing thing where they will have injuries, but all of the injuries will be concentrated in a specific area of the field. They they went weeks where all of their forwards and wingers were hurt. Now. In, in their last game, they were, they were basically short three defensive midfielders. It, it, it just sort of ricocheted around the team. And I, I, wrote something for, I wrote something for the Star Tribune last week that looked a little bit at the difference when they have Robin Lude and Emmanuel Reynoso starting versus without over the last couple of years. When they have both of those guys in the starting lineup, they're one of the best teams in the Western Conference. If they are missing one or both of them, they are maybe not a playoff team. And I, I think that speaks to when we talk about adjustments, they're not really trying to adjust formations or even adjust anything specific. They're just trying to get their best team on the field. And another guy they were missing last night was Ozzie Alonzo. And he's not so much injured. Part of the problem with him is that he's coming up on 36 years old, which is old for soccer. And so, he's, he's played, he played the full 95 out of the last six games. And so then he missed the, the DC United game for, you know, not necessarily old age reasons but certainly they want to manage his minutes a little bit because they've got a busy stretch coming up in October here. But I, when we talk about competitiveness, I think you can, you can talk about Alonzo's on field play all you want, but they're there. I cannot imagine being a teammate of Ozzy Alonzo's and not, being as absolutely competitive and bringing that kind of hunger to the game, because he will he will stab you in the neck if you don't if you don't bring that compete level.
0: Is that legal? I don't think that's legal. Is that re- generally a red card? Maybe a yellow if you've got a ref that looks the other way.
1: He, he's just got that old school defensive midfielder thing where you expect in the first three four minutes of the game he's going to commit a foul that would be a card any other time. At the referee's going to be like, "Well, oh, I'm not I'm not handing out stuff this early." And he's just going to set that tone. Kyle Beckerman for many years. I think he committed a foul in the first 12 seconds of every MLS game he ever played that should have gotten him sent off. But
0: a couple more things for you, John. Interesting discussion here. You know, a couple, two, three, four weeks ago, I had Ethan Finley on the podcast and kind of stumped him with the question of what is this team's identity beyond Reynoso you know, they've, they've gotten a look now at, you know, having to play without Ray sometimes. And, you know, with Ray, have they figured any more of this out along the way when they don't have him in the lineup? Cause it sounds like it's a pretty big difference from what you're telling me, you know, obviously he's your best player. So you, sh- you're going to be worse, but it almost feels like the Byron Buxton effect where mm-hmm. he's not in the lineup and everything just falls apart.
1: Right. And I, like I said, with with what I wrote about Reynoso and Lood, I think there is a certain amount of truth to that. But I also, I also think it's true that if you take maybe the best two players off of any MLS team, that team is going to struggle. I don't think Minnesota United is different in that regard. I do think the thing that is going to help them, especially when they, they talk about when we look at the offense, is that they are no longer missing seven guys who are on the offensive end. They've got... Guys like Juan Aguadelo was on the bench last night for the first time in a few weeks. Nico Hansen, I don't think he played since the start of August. He, he got a little bit of a run out as a sub last night. And so when, when we talk about an offensive identity, obviously it's going to be different if Emmanuel Reynoso isn't in there because he's one of the best playmakers in the league. But I think it's going to be different when they have a number of different depth options rather than when they're – they've got Adrian Unu, who is struggling. And then beyond that, there's Fernando Adi, whose athletic days are behind him.
0: Last thing I keep seeing a lot of press lately about Landon Donovan and how he's going to become a hot commodity among MLS coach and MLS coaching commodity at some point, aside from, you know, making Dana Wessel, our, our mutual friend yeah. head explode. Um, what do you, what do you make of that? And, you know, as, as we think about, you know, the future here, Adrian Heath, you know, certainly has done a credible job, but there's the Heath out crowd here. I'm just, I'm just kind of curious what your take is on Landon Donovan as a coaching prospect, I guess.
1: Well, I, he has been coaching this year in San Diego, in the United soccer league, which is the second division for podcast listeners who maybe don't follow the lower divisions as closely. And they've been having a lot of success. They're not one of the big budget teams in the second division, or maybe not a team that's going to, by a lot of really important guys, but it, it feels like he's getting the best out of people. And so I think that's really interesting, especially I, there have been reports that he interviewed for the Real Salt Lake job, which is semi-open right now. They, they're in a weird situation where Freddie Juarez, who was their coach, saw the writing on the wall and actually quit as the head coach to go be the assistant coach in Seattle, which that was one of those things that is just very MLS. I, can't, I cannot remember a parallel to that in any other sport. But they had brought in, they had brought in their current interim guy um, sort of at the start of the season. And I think Juarez saw the writing on the wall. So that job is open ish. I'm not sure how open it is. I don't know. There were, like I say, there were reports that he interviewed in Salt Lake, but I don't know where where that process actually exists. That said, in the last two weeks, Cincinnati and Chicago have both fired their coaches. And I guarantee you that, at least one, and probably both of them, are going to at least interview Donovan for that position, and I think he's an interesting coaching candidate. As far as Minnesota, I, Minnesota has a coach right now, yes. so they're automatically they're automatically behind in that sense. And I don't get the sense, and maybe this is maybe this is different, but I don't get the sense people are ready for the the powers that be at Minnesota United are ready for the Adrian Heath era to be over yet, and. You look at you look at the last couple of years. They made the playoffs two years in a row. They are not necessarily on the inside track, but certainly favored to make the playoffs this year. And I, I i it would be a it would be an impressively courageous move to fire a guy who's made the playoffs three years in a row to replace him with a guy who has one year of coaching experience in the second division. Could yes, I see that? Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I guess I wasn't. I'm not trying to start a rumor here. More interested in. Landon Donovan is a, you know, bringing him to the bringing him to MLS would be an interesting kind of uh, dynamic for that league, kind of give them some star power in, in the coaching ranks too, which would be, you know, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't hurt necessarily along yeah, those could, lines.
1: I could see him, I could see him being successful in MLS sort of in that sort of understated Brian Schmetzer in Seattle way, where he's maybe not the, the biggest neighbor, the most bombastic guy, like Bruce arena in new England or whoever, but he's just sort of that understated guy who manages people well, and his teams just win.
0: I like those guys. Well, we will see. We'll see what's in store the rest of the year for the Loons. John Marthaler, good stuff. We'll do this again soon. All right.
1: That sounds great. Thanks, Mike. That Dallas
0: match is 7 p.m. Saturday. It's a big one. Loons down to seventh in the Western Conference table now. They got a game in hand on a lot of the teams they're chasing up above them, which is good. But just three points clear of vancouver and vancouver has also played 26 matches vancouver vancouver the number eight team so kind of start stacking up some points here especially in road games if they are going to at least make the playoffs this season let's finish with the cooler nba vaccination the story that keeps going i got two thoughts on it one andrew wiggins and kyrie irving separate coasts both of them not vaccinated in danger of not being able to play in home games because of local health ordinances Ridiculous that they haven't done it, right? Um, if you've got millions of dollars on the table, plus the public health good, um, you got to do it. It's it's stubborn not to, and it's it's putting your whole season and your teammates in jeopardy in multiple ways. That said, I feel like the NBA is in a weird place because they're getting a lot of criticism for these handful of unvaccinated players when ninety, almost ninety five percent of the league now, it sounds like, is vaccinated. Um, hey, if that, was the, if that was the rate in the United States, we would not have a, a raging uh, wave of the pandemic right now. So NBA players are not the problem. They are high-profile players. They are high-profile athletes who are going to get swept up in this. But that is not the problem in this country when it comes to vaccination. The NBA is doing a great job with vaccination. It's these high-profile cases that are maybe skewing perception of where things are at. That will do it for me today. Good stuff coming up next week. I'm sure Patrick Royce and I will have plenty to talk about on Monday coming off that Vikings game, coming off Gophers at Purdue. And, uh, you know, October, it is the convergence of all sports things. Enjoy the weekend. We'll get you again on Monday.